Hello and welcome to the commentary track for the first episode of Pendant Shakespeare's Henry VI Part 1. My name is Jeff Robinson. I'm the director of Pendant Shakespeare, joined by special guest uh, seminar director for Pendant, Adam Blanford, who also plays Lord Talbot in this production as well. Adam, thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. And uh, until uh, recently, you were also, I should note, the uh, co-director of Pendant Shakespeare. So we are longtime co collaborators here uh, who've uh, put together two productions so far and uh, now solo directing this third one, but uh, have appreciated uh, not only having you in the cast, but uh, your critical ear in uh, evaluating many of uh, many of the scenes we've put together as well. Yeah, I, I was the unofficial sound designer, or not sound designer, sound consultant. Yes. So I, uh, <laughs> yes if there's any, one thing I can do is give opinions. <laughs> and it's much appreciated. So to lay out the setting here, um, we've got everybody uh, mourning the death of Henry V here in this scene. Some uh, sad music uh, here filling out the mood from... Uh, Josh Mullen, a very, very talented composer whose music we use in many uh, pen and productions here. And uh, you're hearing Gloucester, played uh, very well by Pete Lutz, as well as Bedford, played by E. Rachel Ward, and Exeter, played by Edward Herman. Uh, also coming up here, we've got Sarah Palmero as a Winchester, the evil cardinal, who uh, kind of battles with Gloucester throughout the production, and uh, really, really such a standout, um, talented cast that we've we've been uh, fortunate enough to assemble here for this uh, for this production. A competitive casting process where we went through dozens and dozens of auditions, and luckily we're able to find a, a place for most everybody who auditioned, and uh, really, really pleased with the turnout overall, for sure. And this was a massive cast, that's for sure. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a huge play. Just the scale of it is, is staggering. Exactly. So. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I went methodically kind of down the list of all the characters and figured out, all right, who can play you know multiple roles, who can double as one character in one act and another character in another act. Uh, we've got some ensemble folks who are filling in in many roles, like uh, Walter Macchio here later on is a uh, you know playing a, a various character in practically every scene of the show. Uh, which is which is really cool and very very versatile actor there um but another unique thing about this production compared to other work we've done for Penn and Shakespeare is really the amount of battle and action which you know kind of made this an exciting prospect to to do there are so many battle scenes so many you know war cries needed and that kind of thing not uh typical of your average Shakespearean production which is you know 90 percent focused on the dialogue with with just about you know little else to to add for sure yeah, there was a, we, we used to complain, well, not complain, but we would talk about the fact that, you know, there was, wasn't much to do in Double Falsehood. It was always so quiet. Yep, it's and, true. Uh, and the soundscapes were, were just so sedate. We had to, ended up having to invent things or wrote really exactly. loud music. <laughs> so here, you know, you, you're, you're, uh, you, you've got a lot of work to do. And I, I, I think that people listening at home should really take a second and appreciate the complexity of trying to put together a full scale battle. While trying to bring out the voice of of these actors while they're while they're fighting or emoting or doing crazy French accents and you know the, there's just there's a lot to, that goes into it and it all came mm -hmm. out really well. Yeah, thank you and and yeah, it uh, it definitely is layers upon layers that you really have to consider and uh, picking the exact right sound effects. You know, even as something as simple as a clinking sword. 
um, finding one that sounds realistic um, and, uh, you know, adds value to the production and doesn't, you know, just make the listener go, oh, this is a hokey sound effect can be challenging at times. And, you know, recycling sound effects from time to time, but being careful that it doesn't sound obvious that you've done so uh, can can be a challenge as well. But here's a particular example of how I, you know, made sure to use music to kind of round out the tone of the scene, sort of putting ominous music behind the messenger's voice uh, played by Maya Murphy to sort of to sort of set the tone. Uh, here, here comes his messenger basically saying, hey, the, the British have just lost a major, major battle. Um, and that's serious news for this crowd. So so I was glad to be able to kind of use the music to underscore that moment and, and really get the message across there. Yeah, it, the music really does add to the the scene and kind of it conveys the gravity of, of the scene uh, to, to the listener. Even though some people may may be trying to you know listen to the the Shakespearean dialogue and try and figure out what's going on, that music's going to tell them, "Uh-oh, something's hit the fan." So, um that that's fantastic. So I'm curious for the for everyone listening at home what was your initial reaction reading this script and then realizing you were going solo on putting this whole thing together? <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was definitely a little bit of an oh crap moment for sure, uh, especially considering that we're doing seven episodes here of this uh, this particular one, uh, whereas Double Falsehood and Pericles, which we previously worked on together, were only five episodes. Yep. But uh, yeah, it's it's a challenge I was eager to to sink my teeth into, but definitely there are times where I'm like, man, <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? Especially with the, you know, releasing monthly so there's really not much uh room for error um if lines come in late or i'm having challenges uh finding the right sound effects for a particular scene stuff's got to get done um so so yeah it uh is challenging and and exhilarating all at the same time but uh luckily i will say our, our cast has has really stepped up to the task you know everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're following directions. They're nailing their performances, uh, having to ask for very, very few retakes, which is always super helpful. Um, and the recording quality also of, of the cast lines has been top, top notch, uh, by far the best of any uh, Pendant Shakespeare that I've worked on with Pendant so far. So that's been a huge blessing because, you know, asking an actor to go back to the drawing board because their lines didn't come in at very high quality is you know, as you know, Adam, the, the very last thing that you want to do, you want to avoid it if at all possible. So really, I think uh, this time during the casting process, we paid attention to sound quality probably more than ever before to really be able to say, will this person not only deliver a good performance, but will it be up to the, the high standards that we have? Because you know, the last thing you want is a, you know, one actor in a scene with bad audio quality, right? It's like 90% of your scene could sound great. But if that one person doesn't sound great, it really takes the listener out. And it's kind of a huge, huge bummer. Yeah, I, I, I can't stress enough. If, if you're sitting there listening to this thinking, man, I'd love to get involved. Really think about the sound quality. And, you know, like you can make a blanket for it or you can step into a closet and record just you, you, it's really important to get that nice neutral um environment in which you can emote and you can say your lines and you're not going to get a bunch of reflections back in that mic because exactly. if you sound like you're in a well the only way you're going to get cast is if it's the characters in a well um, <laughs> Spot on. or if if you're sitting there and there's appliance noise and there's all this stuff you know the only way to really get cast is if you're in an airplane hangar like there, there's a lot of a lot of things that really go into this recording that 
Um, you know, thankfully, we have a really dedicated stable of actors who pay attention to those things. Yep. We have, you know, it, we welcome all comers. And so, like, like, like you said, everybody who, who uh, has given their lines, their work has been stellar. Yeah. And uh, so that really makes for a, a fun performance because, you know, I, you, you know how it is. You can't stress about the, the sound quality or you, if you're stressed about the sound quality, then you're not necessarily... A, able to block everything and get the effects and get the music because you're trying to clean everything up exactly yeah uh, very very time consuming and i want to call attention adam in particular to, to your excellent work in this passage we're listening to or just finished rather um where uh, the messenger is delivering a monologue about lord talbot and this isn't something actually in the script but uh you know and adam wasn't even supposed to be in this episode but i said hey you know she's talking about you uh you know you're valiantly fighting on the battlefield why not you know record some background lines and mix it in and sort of take the listener there as she's delivering the monologue and um you know adam i didn't even give you any dialogue to work with you came up with that 100 percent on your own and uh, that was super cool to hear how that turned out in the final mix I, I mean, my only hope is that I didn't say something anachronistic. I just, right. <laughs> uh, just kind of thought, what sounds Shakespearean? And then I, I stepped three feet back from my mic and just started screaming. And yep. thankfully it worked out. <laughs> yeah, and those screams are always the hardest to do, right? Because, you know, especially, you know, if you're in a house with other people or you're in an apartment, even worse, you know, it's like... <laughs> How loud can I really scream here without uh, getting the cops called on me? But uh, you, you, you pulled it off at full energy, full volume, and uh, it, the scene was much, much better for him. Really cool. Yeah, I, thank you. It, it, I think it, it did help kind of add to the gravity of the scene. It, it helped show the betrayal because there's so many flashbacks yep. that appear in this story that that having that kind of effect really helps bring home what happened and. Um, helps the characters impart the story. A hundred percent, yeah. And uh, it makes you wonder, you know, for these scenes in an actual stage production, you know, that must be all the more challenging because you have this messenger coming out and delivering a five-minute-long monologue. What are you going to do if you're actually performing it on stage? Like, have all the actors come out and reenact it in the background? You know, that must be must be pretty challenging. So that's that. You know, at least one advantage of audio drama where you can seamlessly mix that kind of stuff in as the messenger is speaking. That was really yeah. cool. The king from Eltham, I intend to steal. I love this line here from uh, Sarah Palmero as Winchester. Said at chiefest stern of public wheel, you can like hear her tapping her fingers together and going, Whoa, <laughs> you know, perfectly <laughs> evil uh, performance and love, love the uh, energy she brought to it. I believe she's a experienced Shakespearean uh, thespian on stage as well, if I if I remember correctly. Yes. So uh, certainly a great asset to this production for sure. Yeah, and now we've got a ton of experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can hear her in uh, uh, Genesis Avalon Patriot and uh, numerous other pennant productions, a seminar as well, which Adam directs. So uh, love to have actresses and actors like Sarah who come back and work with us time again, time and again on many, many shows. But Sarah and I tend to appear in different um, different productions together randomly because I play Munnan and McClear in uh, Genesis Avalon Patriot, and uh -huh. Mac is has a very uh, direct relationship with um, with with Sarah's character, mm -hmm. and uh, and so that, that's fun. And then I appeared in, in some random thing like uh, she voices uh, um, in uh, Once Upon a Time uh, or Once Upon a Monster of the Week. Now Welcome to Reddington, uh, an improv thing, and I went and I played her dad. Um, nice. 
<laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so we, we tend to appear uh, together in a lot of, a lot of stuff and sometimes randomly. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The audio drama world is, uh, is fun that way for sure. Smaller than you think. Oh, it's true. Yeah. I, um, you know, when I, uh, when we first cast Russell Golden Pericles as the, as the title character, I distinctly remembered, hmm, him and I were in some random audio drama as far back as like 2008, I want to say. <laughs> back on the old uh, Voice Acting Alliance message board, which is now since defunct. Uh, just this kind of, you know, community of, of people doing all kinds of fan productions. Um, so, so yeah, it is, a, it is a small audio drama world for sure. Yeah. So I must call attention here to uh, our, our actors playing these French characters. That's Josh Kibbe, you hear as Renier, who just uh, was absolutely hilarious in that role. We told our actors to make their French accents as over-the-top ridiculous and, you know, Monty Python style as possible, and they really rose to the occasion. Uh, also, Bruce Davis as uh, the Duke of Alençon with his, like, sneering, haughty tone, just absolutely A+. Plus. Um, just just love the performances and the fact that they took the direction to make it as ridiculous as possible to heart, for sure. I, I swear, this, this particular set of credits, because I also do the credits um, announcing for all the independent shows uh this one gave me the most trouble because i read it through and recorded it and then i realized i forgot that uh there was a french that, that, that they were in france and so i had to say it with a french accent yeah. and uh, so to redo all of my lines um which i've never had to do before so this was a first yeah yeah i remember the script went out and i was like oh no I, everybody's going to pronounce orleans as orleans unless i unless i make sure to note that it should be pronounced orleans so so the cast did a great job and uh morgan did a great job of including pronunciations in the script because yeah with shakespeare it's just uh something you got to be very very careful you don't want to have one actor pronouncing it one way and another playing pronouncing it the other way uh, i have news for him i'm i'm narrating uh, an audiobook right now and it's got a bunch of french names in it and so i'm having to go and like how do you pronounce this oh so, yeah for sure <laughs> oh yeah so here's my cameo in this uh particular episode i couldn't resist casting myself as a character known as the bastard of Orléans. <laughs> so uh figured i would throw myself in there just a little fun part uh fun to you know be able to record a small part in here at least while i spend most of my energy obviously on the the directing and editing portion of it yeah, I can only imagine playing Talbot and trying to edit all this stuff. I get so sick of my voice. <laughs> so uh, credit also to uh, Kendra Murray as our uh, Charles the Dauphin. Um, you know, uh, worked really well because uh, Charles is supposed to be kind of on the youngest side, only 18 or 19 years old. Um, and I thought her voice was the exact right uh, sort of timber and, and pitch for the role. And uh, she brought a great French accent to the part as well. So really well done, Kendra. Uh, you can hear a lot of Kendra's works in uh, audiobook form as well. I know she's a talented and a prolific uh, audiobook narrator. So uh, another longtime Pendant collaborator we're super happy to have on the uh, on the Pendant team. Yeah, there were so many veterans of, of other Pendant productions in this, which was really good because gas is so freaking big. Yeah, exactly. And uh, before, you know, before the casting deadline, I made sure to send out an email to everybody we worked with on Pericles, everybody we worked with on Double Falsehood and say, hey, you're great to work with, you know, come back and, and uh, you know, try out for a part in this because we'd love to have you again. And many, many folks did, which is, a, you know, a testament to not only their dedication, but also a testament to, you know, Pendant just being a great group of folks that keeps, uh, 
keeps actors coming back for more. Always great to see, for sure. Absolutely. And now we are here to Cat Peterson as uh, Joan of Arc, who is called Joan La Pucelle in Shakespeare's script. But it's uh, really interesting kind of having such a famous historical figure woven directly into this play. And uh, yeah, when I heard Cat's audition for Joan, I, I knew, you know, she's the one. She's She was terrific from top to bottom in her audition and uh, has stepped up and done some great work so far on just the few episodes we've done. Uh, or uh, started to assemble for this production so far. I, I've done several productions with Kat. And uh, and honestly, uh, Kat auditioned for an episode of Seminar yep. and uh, did a character with a British accent. I didn't realize that that wasn't her native accent. She was that good. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, we've, we've done a number of things uh, together. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I will sing Kat's praises. Yeah, another example of the talent we are blessed to have at Pendant and uh, folks folks taking the time to do this, do this work. I know, um, you know, when you set out to do a Shakespearean production, I think uh, it can be easy to forget how much work it is for these cast members to record these long monologues. And we always ask actors if they can to do three to five takes of each line. So we have, uh, you know, multiple variety of reads to work with. And, uh, you know, really, when you have a part as large as uh, Joan LaPoucelle and you've got all these three to, you know, three or four minute long monologues, it's a lot of effort we're asking actors to do. And we really, truly do appreciate it and the energy and dedication they show in in uh, doing this. Yeah. I mean, for for seminar in a standard 15 minute script, you might have 37 lines on average. So that means that whatever you hear, those 37 lines, it was actually recorded about 100, uh, that person recorded 150 lines. For sure. So that they met the minimum number of takes necessary to uh, submit and uh, have extras to use uh, for safety. <clears throat> so for something like this, the amount of staggering, I mean, uh, when I, my lines, when I was recording, I think I, I was like, I had like 20 minutes of dialogue. Oh, for sure. For an episode. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, no question. It is an investment of time and, uh, you know, the actors who take the time to really read and understand the the script and, you know, where their lines fall in the context of the scene, um, you know, is just a, just another example of how demanding it can be. Because uh, Shakespeare, if you know, you just open up the script and you read your own lines in isolation, you're not really going to understand what it is you're saying or what the point is of what uh, you're trying to communicate. So you've got to kind of really read the entire episode practically to to understand where you fit in and, uh, you know, often I'll, you know, head to Wikipedia or some of the various Shakespeare websites as well um, to, to make sure I truly understand what it is the character is supposed to be saying or um, what's supposed to be happening in a given scene. It uh, can be challenging and time consuming for sure. Yeah, you really have to think through all the components of the character, how they're playing off the other characters. And you can you can get by reading just your lines, but it's always going to have a little bit of flatness to the, the interpretation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, love this moment here as uh, Joan is coming up here at the, the end of the scene. Another uh, monologue coming up where she's really rallying the troops. I threw in, you know, the French battle theme here uh, behind her voice and some uh, drums as well to really build up the excitement and anticipation as she's basically saying, hey, I'm uh, I'm your new leader. Let's uh, get out onto the battlefield and kick some British ass. Uh, so she really uh, did an awesome job with the uh, energy here that she brought uh, to this particular monologue for sure. 
One thing I'll note also that was a great uh, suggestion by our dramaturge, Morgan Z. Sowell, um, was to kind of have these unique battle themes for the English and for the French to really sort of take you to that place uh, mm. in, in mm. each particular scene, because it is constantly switching back and forth between the British side and the French side, and that sort of helps ground you and, and uh, lets the listener know exactly where you're supposed to be, since obviously we can't see anybody on a screen or anything like that. <laughs> Again, got to plug Bruce Davis and uh, Josh Kibbe here as uh, the Duke of Alençon and uh, Renier, awesome uh, Monty Python-style comic relief, really an awesome addition to this uh, to this show for sure. We had some actors um, who were sort of a little trepidatious about doing a French accent, me included, because I'm, I'm not great <laughs> with accents myself, but. I just said, look, make it as funny and as ridiculous as you possibly can, and you cannot go wrong. Watch some Monty Python or whatnot. <laughs> yeah, a French accent's one of those that I just shy away from if at all possible. <laughs> so uh, this this is a scene that, uh, you know, really has a lot of transitions, starts off. Uh, funny and uh, you know Morgan in his in his notes to the the actors and to me was like hey, look this scene is funny play this scene funny because um, uh, Gloucester is trying to knock on the gates and uh, get in to 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 uh, see uh, Henry uh, I believe and uh, you know you've got like this this guard popping out just like uh, <laughs> yeah, again just like Monty Python appearing on the top of the castle and and saying you know nope not letting you in. Um, so uh, this is another example of using the music to set the tone. I found just yep. kind of this lighthearted sort of dainty type tune. <laughs> well, it's said, funny. No, it's perfect. Well, it's really funny about the, the, the you have this confrontation between them. And uh, the, the song itself is titled Getting the Point Across. Ah, so yep. uh, it, it's funny how uh, like whenever we do these things and we pull the music in, the title really does speak to whatever scene. Mm. It's true. It's true. And yeah, I often I often uh, find that uh, the way that Josh labels the the titles and the album titles of his songs to be super helpful in finding the right, uh, right uh, song for a particular scene. It uh, is helpful when there's so many of his tracks to wade through to, to kind of select which one is going to give you the right feel for sure. And the way he groups them together on his albums is helpful as well. Well, I, I did one that was kind of a police drama between a detective and a time traveling like agent. Right. And uh, I found one album and I kept finding uh, it was like, OK, this, this sentence speaks to justice. This speaks to time for justice. This speaks mm. to this. And I, like, I was just like, OK, here's the challenge. I'm going to use every single one of these songs in this album. And yeah. I managed to get at least 90 percent of them. Very and they nice. all worked really well to, to bring that in. So he does a really great job setting the ambiance and, and, and uh, really, you know, evoking the emotion and the, the setting so that we couldn't do it without that music. 100%. Yeah. So here's a great confrontation between uh, Gloucester, again played by Pete Lutz, and uh, Cardinal Winchester, played by Sarah Palmero. Uh, the music really heightening the tension here. You can tell these two are really just about to go at it and, and beat the crap out of each other, which they do, uh, or their men do, I should say, uh, uh, backing them up. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, this is an example of having to pace the dialogue very tightly. Um, you know, in most of these scenes uh, here in this in this particular episode, finding I tried to leave as little space between the end of one line and the beginning of the next line as possible to really kind of heighten the tension. Yep. 
Here, I believe I transitioned to a different song where we really get into the thick of the battle here. And uh, our cast was kind enough to record a bunch of, uh, of uh, background dialogue. If you're listening, you'll, you'll hear, uh, I think, Gareth Boley and Kirsty Wolven and some of the other performers doing some great lines uh, that uh, really add a lot of humor if you're, if you're paying attention closely to what they're saying. It's always little things. Exactly, yep. Yep, the little things that you can throw in that uh, really take your production from, you know, pretty good to, to great if you if you pull it off well. Yeah, this part was difficult because they, they're fighting, they're bashing each other, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got a kind of an interruption where there's like all this lengthy dialogue right in the middle. And, and at first I wasn't sure what to do, but then I thought, all right, let's continue the battle music over all this dialogue to kind of uh, heighten the tension and, and make it clear that no, this battle's not over yet. They're still right in the thick of it. Well, I mean, it's whether it's a literal or figurative battle, they're still fighting, so that makes sense. Exactly, yep. Plug here for uh, Loretta Cheng as the voice of uh, the mayor of London. Uh, great performance. You'll hear her later on in the production as well. Uh, basically coming in and saying, you know, hey, you dumbasses, get out of my streets. Stop fighting. Um, but uh, really liked the uh, the uh, edge that she added to, to this particular dialogue and uh, um, thought she totally nailed the tone for sure. So coming up on the end of the episode here, one challenge mm -hmm. I always struggle with a bit is like, what music do you want to carry out the episode? I think is always a, an important consideration for sure. And yep. uh, not sure what the name of this track was exactly off the top of my head, but uh, thought I found a, a good one from, from Josh Mullen here that sort of leaves the listener with, you know, more to come. Stay tuned. Stay, stay tuned for the next episode because there's more action coming your way. <laughs> yeah, I think it was great. God, these nobles should such stomachs bear. I yep, this is the set of credits I had to redo because I said it with a regular American <laughs> accent. Bastard of Orleans, the Duke of Allenson. I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, no, we we uh, we we uh, really should give you a plug for all that work you do between <laughs> this show, between seminar. Um, uh, you know, lots and lots of work, Mage and Machine. I know you've done in the past. Um, so yeah, as the voice of Pendant, you're you're quite busy, I'm sure. Yeah, it's coming up on three years. Ah, very nice. Yeah, two yeah. and a half years. Doing it for two and a half years now, and then uh, yeah, almost as long as I almost as long as I've been directing. So that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think we started working on seminar together back in uh, 2020 and the height of the pandemic and. Uh, yeah, and started collaborating on Penn and Shakespeare the following year, so mm -hmm. it's been a journey. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in for uh, episode one of Henry the Sixth Part One from Penn and Shakespeare. We'll see you again next month for episode two. See you later.